Hello and welcome to AMM Conversation, the official podcast of the Association of Medical Media. I'm your host, Jason Karras. In this episode, we will continue exploring the landscape and challenges of data privacy in the 21st century. My guest is Stephanie Hannaway, Director of Journal Media at the American Academy of Family Physicians. Stephanie manages three journals and a subscription-only periodical. She supervises the editorial, production, circulation, and advertising of all those publications. Previously, she spent a number of years in the for-profit B2B publishing world. She's a current board member of the Association of Medical Media. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So could you explain where you and your team intersect with data privacy? Yeah, most of the things that we deal with currently are discussions about data privacy as they impact advertising. Now, data privacy can also be a subject, and it is a subject that comes up here at the Academy when it comes to user experience. We believe and we we are operating on the principle that our users, our members, and our journal readers expect that when they come to our websites, they're going to have an experience that is appropriate to their interests. They're not going to be seeing things that really don't have anything to do with their profession and their particular interests. So the data privacy issues come up when it comes to both personalizing the website experience for our members, and then that also intersects with matters with regard to privacy. So, you know, one might argue, as I do very often, and I, and I think it's true, that the advertising is part of the experience with regard to data, not just the website, but emails and all that. It's all part of the experience, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with personalizing that experience and using data to do that. And I think most people in this day and age, whether they're doctors or consumers, they expect that. They expect you to have some idea of who they are and what they may be interested in. And advertising is a part of that. The challenges and discussions around data privacy end up mostly circling around what do we do with the data that they've entrusted to us to give them these personalized experiences? Is that a contract that they've made with us? And, you know, it's something that is between the two of us to share that experience, or does that experience also, or their data that drives that experience extend to others outside of the academy, people that they don't no. As a currency, right? Exactly. Exactly. So there's a lot of data privacy issues that happen. <laughs> yeah. So did you learn anything at our Ed Forum? I know you're on the panel. Again, thank you very much for participating. You know, was there anything you learned or was there like a key moment or something that you took back to your office and discussed or had a meeting with web dev or IT or editorial? I would say I took back validation about what we're doing, and I did let them know. Now, some of the panelists are IT and development people are well aware of, and they've actually met, and we've had discussions before. So I don't think anything caused us to rethink our philosophy and the way we're approaching things, but maybe at least for now, it was more of a validation. What have your discussions with your web, IT, editorial, legal teams been in the past few months or years with regard to how you're going to approach privacy 
with your digital products? We are all, and we have been for years, in absolute perfect alignment as far as the principles that we're following, and they are very much in line with the AMM's privacy principles. The actual nuts and bolts about how we get that done. Luckily, I don't have to get too involved in that. It's one of those things that isn't necessarily journal specific. It's bigger than our journals. It has to do with the academy overall. But I have, through the years, had multiple discussions with legal and with our membership division about the principles, reviewing privacy policy language to make sure it is reflective of our principles, but also, of course, allows us to do things that we have to do, such as sometimes work with external vendors who are service providers that allow our websites to function properly. And I think we're in a really, really good place there. Now, all of the technology that's involved in complying with CCPA and, you know, GDPR, et cetera, et cetera, that is luckily something I don't have to concern myself with. Our IT department is completely on top of that. They are making sure that everything complies with the law. They're working directly with general counsel. So I'm, I'm pretty lucky in that respect. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about legislation, regulation, et cetera. How much discussion has taken place at AAFP? And again, I know you said that you don't always have to be directly involved in that. How much of the discussion has taken place on laws already in place, such as California, Nevada, the Colorado law, uh, a couple of years ago, GDPR? Oh, a lot, a lot. Once again, we were very, very much ahead of the game because our principles and the way we operate make it very, very easy to comply with those. After that, the discussion almost purely became, how do we implement that technologically? We don't have to figure out if we're doing the right thing, because we are, but how to report back. So it became a very, you know, more of a really operation administrative discussion. There's something like three federal proposals and nearly a dozen states with data privacy legislation in the works. What concerns do you and the AAFP have with regard to the decentralized regulatory initiatives? It is very troubling from an administrative burden perspective, because once again, all the things that these laws are trying to prevent or to make transparent are things that we are doing, but now for each state, we have to jump through a lot of hoops to report on those and to administer those differently for each state. So it just becomes more and more of an operational and administrative tangle. We're ahead of the game in that we don't have to rethink the way we operate and the way we deal with our member and visitor data but it just becomes kind of an operational and administrative challenge. So before we leave the legal, you know, I just saw it reported the other day that Australia, the country, is suing Facebook for $529 billion, billion with a B, dollars, with respect to the Cambridge Analytica breach. And apparently that's more than the annual GDP of Australia. Wow. <laughs> I had heard that. Yeah, just, just interesting, you know, came across it in Apple News. And any thoughts on how Facebook, Google, big tech companies, their role and or lack of leadership with regard to data privacy are filtering down to, you know, publishers, media companies, et cetera? 
Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I'm going to use Facebook primarily as the, you know, bad guy in this comment, but they take so much. I mean, the lion's share of all digital advertising is done with the likes of Facebook and Google and, you know, the, the big, the big guns and advertisers come to expect this kind of thing from everyone. And if they are so willing to do what many people perceive to be the wrong thing, but it makes advertisers happy, that just makes it harder for the rest of the world, the rest of us who are trying to do things the right and ethical way to compete in that world because expectations have changed. And since Cambridge Analytica, I believe that finally consumers have caught on to what's going on. So now consumer expectations are changing and constituents for legislatures, you know, those expectations are changing. But we're always going to be battling the bad guys when we are trying to compete with an ethical set of standards. The consumers have figured things out. The legislators have figured things out. But you know, where we make our money in terms of advertising and deeper engagements with our customers, those goalposts haven't moved. They're still out there. They're not retracting. We're not putting the toothpaste back into the bottle after this Facebook thing. And I think the thing that people get confused about is I don't think they completely understand the extent of what someone like Facebook did in Cambridge Analytica, for example. So they tend to throw the whole baby out with the bathwater in their mind, in a typical consumer's mind, in a lot of legislatures, thinking that if you are using someone's data for anything that has a commercial value, you're doing the wrong thing. But if you really start talking to them, it's like, well, I certainly long ago started appreciating Amazon because they showed me other things I might consider because they know what I like and what I've been interested in before. But I think people are too eager. I mean, they're just not following it closely enough to know there is a huge gap between a website within its own world garden using their data to give them a better experience versus what happened in Cambridge Analytica is packaging up their data and sending it to somebody else they never even heard of or giving third parties back-end access to the data that you know the user doesn't even know that the, you know, they're not connecting those dots exactly right if i give amazon my data i fully expect that amazon's going to use that data to give me a better experience when i'm on amazon i start to get and everybody should get squishy when it's like, well, what, who else is getting access to that data and who are they selling it to and how, you know, how else is it going to be used? And we know it is being used, but I, I don't think people, including legislators, are really drawing a really, really clear line between the idea of using the data in their own interactions with that customer and selling, sharing, merchandising, marketing that data outside those walls. Let me ask that question in a, in a little bit of a different spin. You know, it sounds like a AFP is adhering to strict guidelines when it comes to data privacy and really respecting your customers. Are you concerned with your vendors and maybe not just your first touch point vendors, but who they're working with, or like we just talked about, you know, your, your mouse stats analytics types who are, you know, you're layering and stacking on top of, are you concerned with those vendors violating privacy terms? 
we absolutely have to be concerned with our vendors doing that. And we are extraordinarily careful to make sure that, you know, we are really nailed down as tightly as we can be legally to prevent our vendors from doing anything with our data that we did not explicitly approve up front. It's the kind of thing that might keep you up at night. It's like, well, they're cheaters, you know, so you've got to do a lot of due diligence to make sure, you know, who it is you're working with, to know their background. We've got a pretty thorough vetting process here at the Academy to vet that. I will say a few years ago, the Academy was even reticent about working with any vendor. It's like, well, you know, we're going to either have to build all this technology in-house or, you know, we're going to have to work with vendors. But that is how sensitive that we have been about giving anybody else access to data, even if they're just a technology vendor. But we know that we live in the real world now and we're not going to be able to deliver the experience our members expect from us if we're giving them an experience that they were getting back in 1992. Yeah, exactly. You know, so we're talking about things like your authentication system for your logins, your your CRM, CDP platform, ad servicing, programmatic, all of those things that you're transmitting a lot of data back and forth. And there's a lot of issues around who's responsible for a breach, downtime, non-compliance. Have you had any issues with, you know, internal or with a vendor over the last one, two, five years? No, we sure haven't, at least as far as we are aware. Knocking on wood, you are. (laughs) Yeah, because if a vendor relationship ends, we've got very, very strict protocols in place about they have to destroy the data and prove to us that they destroyed the data. And as soon as it's over, it's supposed to be over. Now, once again, nobody can protect themselves 100% against somebody breaking into their house, you know, and stealing their car or, you know stealing their TVs or whatever. You just have to put every possible protection in place to minimize the chance of that ever happening. We'll be right back after a message from the Association of Medical Media. Hi, I'm Todd Mundique, Executive Director of the Association of Medical Media. Just taking a pause here to thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast series on digital privacy. Whether it's the first episode or the last, we really hope that you're finding some nuggets and tidbits that you can put in use just as soon as the episode's over. Please don't hesitate to check out ammonline.org, our website, not only for updates on programming that we might be having, along with a host of resources that members can take advantage of, including recaps of previous educational sessions and our Medical Media Matters fact sheet, which will clue you into some research that might be helpful as you're talking to folks that you work with. As always, if we can be of any of assistance, we would be honored to do that. You can reach us at help at ammonline.org. That's also a great email address to use, help at amm.online.org. If you're not getting our weekly newsletter, we'd like to as well. I don't want to take up too much of your time. I hope you're enjoying this podcast series and let's get you back to this episode. Take care. We're back with Stephanie Hannaway of the AAFP. Let's continue the conversation. And you talked about Dr. Augustin Fu, who presented at the AMM Educational Forum last month. He presented a slide, which I, th- I know you applauded, uh, both internally and externally, um, that said, good publishers protect their customers. 
That's everything. This applies whether, you know, I spent a lot of time in the commercial publishing side. I'm now on the association side. And there was a time when these principles applied as much on the commercial side. As an association, if we don't have members and we break our members' trust, we do not exist. And the impact can be felt immediately. So that's our guiding principle. Our members trust us. They trust us with their data. We're not going to break that trust, period. Steph, you were instrumental in crafting AMM's principles on online privacy, which uh, was published following the Facebook Cambridge Analytical uh, news breaking back in 2018. And the third line of that statement is privacy and trust of our audience is paramount. Could you just kind of explain that thought and also the thought behind the statement on principles of online privacy? It's not just a matter of principles and ethics. It is also a matter of business. So if you lose the trust of your customers, now Facebook has managed to crawl out of it, you know, temporarily, but if your readers and your audience no longer trust you, you don't have a business anymore. So everything centers around that principle. That was kind of, you know, one of the guiding ideas behind this statement of privacy principles that AMM developed, you know, and it didn't explicitly say for business reasons, get smart, but it is. I mean, for business reasons, for legal reasons, for all kinds of reasons, if you violate trust that your audience has placed with you, then you're not going to be around very long. There were three principles that were outlined and it talked about clinicians, one, their people, their consumers, and they have the same sensitivities around their data as, as regular consumers. So whether it's in the B2B, B2C space or consumer, we have to treat them fairly. But it also says that, you know, they kind of understand that there's a trade-off between activities and education that comes from publishers and communications and marketing companies. But at the same time, they want to make sure that that trade-off is equitable. If you put yourself in the consumer or healthcare professional's space, they're already making a trade-off because they know they're going to be exposed to advertising. And actually, some of them like the advertising. It's educational, but they will be exposed to advertising. If we're using the data right, if they're going to be exposed to an ad anyway, shouldn't that ad be helpful to them and something that might make them a better physician or a better clinician or give them information that they really need versus something that has absolutely no interest to them. So I think that's a pretty easy trade-off that if I were standing in front of one of our members or readers, I could explain to that and they would say, well, yeah, thank you. You know, I don't necessarily need to see ads for things that are completely outside of my professional sphere. So they expect that. Now, if you want to come use our website, then that means you're giving me your data to resell or to give to other people in order for you to use my website, they would look me in the eye and say, no, thank you. If there are instances where consumers, healthcare professionals, whoever it is, really want to make that trade-off, then they need to clearly understand that's the trade-off they're making. I mean, I think what Facebook revealed to people is they didn't know that by virtue of the fact that they were on Facebook, that Cambridge Analytica was going to 
get their data. They thought Facebook was getting their data. When they were on Facebook, they didn't expect that if they were friends with somebody, then by virtue of being that person's friend, my dad is going to go to somebody. That was all legally covered in Facebook's privacy policy. I'm sure of it. I'm sure they had really good lawyers writing that, but who reads that stuff? So the trade-off, if it is absolutely transparent and explicit, then honestly, the clinicians, physicians, consumers are perfectly within their rights to make that trade-off. Yeah. And, you know, I was just thinking about this, you know, there's a comparison when I come to your website and I click on a link and I go into an article. Yes, I know I'm going to potentially be served advertising or potentially be remarketed to. And it, it kind of like goes back to pharmaceutical reps used to detail and provide folks lunch. Well, you kind of knew what you were getting. You were getting lunch as a trade-off, right, for that pharmaceutical rep to put some brochures out there for their product. When a pharmaceutical rep bought you lunch, they also didn't go into your pocketbook and find out what credit card you had and what your shoe size was. They were just providing you lunch, right? That is exactly right. And when people come to that article on the website, they are coming to read that article. I mean, I don't think they would be bothered by the fact that now we and our journal editors know that that article was something that was important to them. And if we should decide to offer up similar articles of that same type of information, I believe that they would consider that a service. If they come to my website to read an article and there's an ad on that page, if they choose to interact with the ad, then they should know that if they interact with the ad, now the relationship has transferred between them and the advertiser. But if they come to read the article and the ad happens to be there, they should not expect that we, behind the scenes, transferred that relationship over to the advertiser. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. If you're at a detailed lunch, they didn't ask where you had breakfast and where you're planning to have dinner and where you're going to have lunch tomorrow. And if they asked and you told them, that's fine. That's true. Yeah. If they, you know, got into your briefcase and dug out your receipts and then went and sold that to other breakfast restaurants, you know, whatever, then that's kind of a violation. That's a great analogy there. And that, that kind of goes back to the trust. You know, we want to do right by our customers so that they will continue to engage with us. Right. Our customers trusted us with their data so that we could give them a better experience. They did not trust us with their data so that we could go give it to other people that they don't even know. That's really what it boils down to. David Ream, who was a, a member of our panel last month also, he talked about his Privacy Forward initiative, where privacy equates to trust, transparency, customer experience. And he said that regulation should be defined as the floor and medical media can be better. Oh, that's definitely our position. Regulation can get very tangled up in a bunch of nonsense that nobody understands anyway. So as long as you are doing the things that you believe that your members and readers and constituents would approve of, then do that. If you're doing something that you think might make them a little squeamish, then make sure you're explaining to them clearly so that they can make an educated decision about whether they want to move forward on that relationship. Thank you again for your time and commentary on this important issue. One final question. Any advice for the medical media industry? For medical marketers, I think I would say let's don't lose focus on what marketing is and always has been. 
marketing at the end of the day has usually been about influencing some audience and changing their mind about something. I do fear that many of us can get lost playing with the data and, you know, massaging this list and that list and doing a lot of work. And, you know, targeting is obviously vital, but I think sometimes we lose focus on what is it ultimately we're trying to accomplish in marketing. And marketing does not accomplish its goal just when it reaches a very specific targeted audience. It can only accomplish its goal if at the end of the day, it has moved a group of people to change the behavior. And I think sometimes those big time marketing principles sometimes kind of get lost in the discussion. And for medical media, I would say, remember that without your audience and the trust of your audience, you won't have a business for very much longer. So guard that with your life, because that is your business. That is all for this episode of the AMM Conversation. Thank you for listening. Make sure to listen to more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. For more information on data privacy, including the AMM Principles on Online Privacy, visit ammonline.org. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the guests and not necessarily to the host or AMM or any other group or individual.